0: Oh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue this wonderful time just listening to Jesus. Today, the sermon title is Jesus the Rewarder. And the central idea of the text is that Jesus teaches his followers to do things such as giving, praying, and fasting to be seen by God, not by men. That is, trusting God to recognize and welcome us into his eternal home. Believe it or not, it's about the exact same application to us today. Today, we should give, pray, and fast God's way for God's glory, trusting God to recognize and welcome us into his eternal home. Now, I'm curious, how many of you at some point over the last week or so have watched any of the Winter Olympics? Has anybody watched any of it? Okay, some of you are like, yeah, that was cool. I, I'm not like a huge Winter Olympics fan, but the um, snowboarding halfpipe was really cool. I don't know, it, did any of you get to watch when the world record was broken by that guy? Uh, okay, so it, it was pretty cool, admittedly, even as not a big fan this um, Japanese guy went way up in the air, higher than anybody else has gone off. And if you don't know what a half pipe is, it, it's, I don't know, a, cut a pipe in half and fill it with ice and make it huge. And the snowboarders are, woo, 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 as they do you know these tricks all down the way. Well, if you know anything about it, there was an American competing in this named Sean White. And Sean White was 35 years old this, he has been competing in the Olympics since he was 17. Uh, he was uh, just this phenomenal snowboarder. And uh, this guy was going after, I believe, his fourth gold medal. He'd won three gold medals in this snowboarding half pipe. And this was, he had said to everybody, going to be his last Winter Olympics. And what I liked about it is people interviewed him and all, he talked about the pressure of the Olympics and, and he was open and candid about you know when people just ask him hey are you going to repeat it again are you going to be able to do it a fourth time what do you think Sean are you going to get it and uh, you know the hearing over and over again the can he do it again got to him and so he opened up about his struggles and this has been over the years sometime a few years ago he met another Olympian named Michael Phelps And if you know that name, Michael Phelps was an incredibly decorated Olympic swimmer. And Phelps was one who told him, you need to be careful to guard your mind, to to make sure that you don't listen to all the things that people tell you you have to do. Just go out there and, and do what you can. And actually, uh, in 2014, after hearing that advice, Sean White withdrew from an event because his, his mind just was not in a state. He knew it would be unsafe for him to try to compete. And so he actually withdrew and, and was criticized for it. Well, if you know the end of the story, Sean White did get all the way to competing and he, he had a, a really good run, but he had a few guys better than him. He, he placed fourth place. So he just missed that bronze medal. And they were interviewing him afterwards and were like, well, would you have liked to have gotten, you know, just a little bit better to get that bronze medal? And he said, well, of course I would have liked, but had I gotten the bronze medal, I would like to do just a little bit better to get the silver. And if I got the silver medal, I'd like to do a little bit better to get the gold. And so he was honest and he got hugged in a standing ovation uh, as he kind of left this sport for the last time Now it was incredible It was neat to watch the skill, the speed, the prowess I I would make it like 10 feet and then flop on my face You know I, I don't think I have the body and the mechanics for snowboarding and certainly not down a half pipe But here's what I thought as I reflected on that Thankfully, the Christian life is not like the Winter Olympics. Here's what I mean. God calls us to an incredible life, but we're not to practice our Christian life in order to receive medals from men. It's it's not all about getting on that stage and having people go, wow, you are the best in the world at, name that aspect of Christian living. No, we do work to hear a certain well done, but it shouldn't be from men. And so that's where we're going this morning. We're going to consider whose well done we long to hear in terms of our Christian lives. And specifically as we give, as we pray, and as we fast. Because this is one of those times that We're gonna need God to help us understand. Let's go to him first in prayer and then we'll get into Matthew 6. Father God, I'm so grateful that when you call us to salvation, it is based on what you do and not what we do. This isn't a performance we have to do to achieve some standard that you recognize you're good enough to come up here. I just praise you that it's based on what Jesus has done for us. And I'm grateful that you also give us these things to do, not so that you'll love us more, but because you already do love us. And these are good things for us to do to stay close to you, to work out the salvation you give us. So Jesus, would you have your way in us as we listen to you this morning? And would you make us the kind of Christians that live with joy and your power for your glory? And we do the things you call us to do. But God, would you let us do them for the right reasons? I I need you, Jesus, in this because there are some things here that just convict me as I listen to you. And I pray that you would help Redemption Church as a family this morning to hear from you, to be blessed, and to walk the Christian walk as you'd have us to walk it. I ask that, Jesus, please, in your name, amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to stand in honor of God's word if you are able as we read from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. God's word says, "...beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven." And when you pray, do not heap up phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Another way of saying it is do not keep on babbling. Uh, we'll, We'll talk about that, but over and over again, the same phrases. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, first, who's well done do we long to hear? Look back with me in verse 1 of Matthew 6. The verse again said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That verse governs everything we just read. It's like the theme sentence. You see, Jesus assumes at this point that we've been listening to the rest of the sermon. We have heard him teach what it looks like to trust him, to experience God's grace and forgiveness, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and therefore hunger and thirst for righteousness. We saw that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Later, he's going to give a test for discerning who really is a Christian from who's not when he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. The point is, Jesus knows the God who saves us by grace through faith alone. He gives us this gracious power to change, not so that we will be good enough for God to save us, but because he wants us to be more like his son. You say, Jesus has to warn us because when we become a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he starts to work changing the things we want, there's a risk that we'll start to be different people. We'll start to be more like Jesus, and then the pride will sneak in. Somebody who knew you before will look at your life and say, man, you're, you're so different. You're so good where, where you weren't like that before. And, and we'll think, yeah, that's right. Look at me, I am different. Jesus knows the risk that when we do the right things for the wrong reasons, they become the wrong things. And so the warning here is not to do the right things to be rewarded by men. All over this passage, in fact, kids, I may ask you afterwards, see if you can find it in Matthew 6. Somebody tell me after the service how many times the word reward Came in this passage. It's a bunch of them. Reward, 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 reward. Um, I've got a number in mind, but I want you to count them and see if you can find how many times in Matthew 6 Jesus says reward. But there's every time two different rewards in view, right? Look with me in verses two to four. We have someone is praised or rewarded, for giving charitable giving from mankind. Oh, look at this guy. He's such a great giver. And apparently that's all the reward they get. Whereas somebody else gives in such a way that nobody knows about it and their reward is from the father. In verses five and six, somebody decides to pray in a very public way to where everybody hears him and goes, what an amazing Christian that guy is. He just prays so well. And that's all the reward they get, that public recognition. Whereas somebody else prays maybe even in a closet. Nobody knows except God. And they expect a reward from the Father. Finally, in verses 16 to 18, somebody fasts. That is, they they choose not to eat food for a while to draw nearer to God. And they have this gloomy look on their face about how hungry they are. And everybody goes, man, that's an amazingly religious person. And that's all the praise they're going to get. Whereas somebody else abstains from food to draw near to God, conceals it, and should expect a reward from God. So here's the question what's the reward? right? I mean, it begs us to ask, okay, Jesus, rewards are good. We all know that a reward is a good thing. Every one of us who made it through kindergarten gets it. If you're really good, I'll give you a reward. We got it. Like, our ears are listening, Jesus, but what's the reward? I mean, come on, like, let me know about it. Well, there's a few options. Could be, A, some kind of blessing during this present life. Say, maybe it's health, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's happiness. Could be B, some kind of blessing during our eternal life in heaven, maybe a little bit bigger mansion than other people, maybe a a higher position of service, maybe the gold out in front of my place is a little shinier than yours, something like that. Uh, Could be C, that the blessing, the reward is eternal life in heaven with God. Could be D, some combination of all of the above. And if you're like me on a test, I always pick D. If there's all of the above on there, man, I'm going to pick it. Well, in this case, I'm going to argue it's actually not D, all of the above. <laughs> I'm going to suggest that the central reward that Jesus is talking about is C. That is the reward of eternal life in heaven with God. Now, look at this. There's two reasons I get this. first. Over and over and over again, it's not they will get rewards in the plural, but a reward, singular. There is one central reward. So we can't just pick all of the above if it is one central reward. It has to be A, B, or C. Now, second, this takes a little bit of careful Bible reading, but I think we'll all see this. Look in verse 4, how it ends. Verse 4 At the end of it says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? Now look in verse 6 at how it ends. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. You get where I'm going. Look at verse 18, how it ends. You can guess. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, now look at verse 14, how it ends. Your heavenly father will. Will also forgive you. This is a pattern. Fathers season secret will reward you, Father season secret will reward you, Father season secret will reward you. And one time, it's slightly different to explain the other three: your father will also forgive you. The reward, the central reward that is spoken about in Matthew six is the reward of forgiveness. It's nothing less than entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now, if you have gone to a Protestant church for any length of time, someone is listening and going to wisely object, now wait a minute, are you suggesting that Jesus is preaching some kind of salvation by works? Well, if you do these good things, Jesus will look at you and say, What a good person you are. Now I'll reward you with salvation. And I would say, excellent question. Absolutely no is the answer to the question. Jesus is not saying you can earn your salvation. How do I know that? Well, look at how he ended last week at the end of Matthew 5. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I could ask, can anybody raise the hand in here and say, "You are just as perfect or just as mature or just as complete as God?" Right? My hand's down, like way down, buried underneath the earth. There's no way anybody gets past Matthew chapter five, verse 48, and doesn't need a savior. There's no measuring up by our own good works that's why. Jesus had to live the perfect life on our behalf. That's why he had to go to the cross to take the penalty for my sin and for yours. So Jesus is not saying reward in the sense of if you do these good things, the Father will forgive you. No, no, no. If you've trusted in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he's going to change you from the inside out. You're going to hunger and thirst to do the right things. And Jesus gives this warning. There are two types of recognition. You can live for the recognition of men or you can live for the recognition of your father. This takes faith. This takes, okay, I believe that one day I'll stand before God because of what Jesus has done for me and I wanna hear something more than just all these people telling me what a good Christian I am. I wanna hear from my Father who's in heaven. You see, it's the difference between doing good things out of saying please and doing good things out of saying thank you. If you do your good works in order for God to recognize you and say, okay, now you're good enough, I'll save you. That's like saying, please, God, now I'm good enough, will you please save me? And that'll never work. But if you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation, you know it's all his work, not yours. And then out of joy, you, you, you do these things that God has given you. That's like saying, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Christian, do your good works to say thank you, not to say, please. All right, one other potential objection here, and that is, but wait a minute, what about the heavenly treasures we're supposed to store up? Uh, I'm so glad you asked. I would encourage you to come next week and listen to Pastor Wesley as he preaches to us about the heavenly treasures we're supposed to store up. And and so there you go, brother, we're setting it up for you. You better preach on the heavenly treasures. Uh, That said, you know, the central reward here is for sure entrance into the kingdom because otherwise we don't have any of the other hopes or treasures that we can store up in heaven. Jesus talks about the same idea in Matthew 25 and Luke gives it to us in Luke 19 where he tells the story. In this story, each of the different servants are entrusted by their master with some money master takes a long journey and he comes back and says to the servants okay what did you use the money I gave you for and one servant says okay you gave me this much and I doubled it to make this much right five talents to ten another says well you gave me two talents and I multiplied it to make four and another servant the last one says well you gave me one talent to invest but I knew you were a hard man and so I just hit it in the ground and kind of hoped for the best so here's your talent right and everybody remembers the lazy servant, because it doesn't go well for him, you wicked and lazy servant, you are gonna be cast into the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But don't forget what is said to the faithful servants. In Matthew chapter 25, both verses 21 and 23, this is what the master says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much Enter into the joy of your master. It's slightly different in Luke. Luke 19, 17 says this, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. I don't know all that heaven's going to be like. But I know enough from that book to know it's going to be really, really good. I know enough to to get my appetite looking forward to standing with my king, my head bowed before him and hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now I love y'all. I really do. But any compliment you could pay me doesn't even come close to hearing those words from my king. I want to hear those words. And we should all want to hear those words. Hey, Brother, sister, do good things, but do it to hear well done from your king. That's how you can do it and not care if nobody notices. You, you do these good things, I promise somebody notices. And I promise him noticing is a bigger deal than anybody else. Before we consider the giving and the praying and the fasting, some of us need to just pause for a minute and say, hey, why do I do the things I do? Why do I do the things that the Bible says are good? Do I need someone to see me and say, hey, good job, Jared, in order to be willing to do those things? Because if that's the reason, I've got some repenting to do. I need to say, hey, Father, change my heart on this. Help me to trust your word enough to do them if you alone see what I do. I'm not going to name names, but there are some amazing servants here at this church who week in, week out, do things. They're they're kind of thankless tasks, whether it's setting up some chairs or taking down some chairs, whether it's cleaning something up or or making a place look good. And, and, you know, um, we only notice, right, if if they miss a week or something like that. We gotta take it for granted. And, and, And I think those who serve in those ways, those kind of behind the scenes ways, you get it. Hey, let me just tell you, the Father in heaven sees what you do for the glory of his name. Praise the Lord. Look with me in verses two to four, what I'm calling giving God's way. Jesus exposes first this idea of hypocritical giving. That is, giving to the needy, yes, but only to be seen and praised by others. And when it says that they sound this trumpet in the streets, that's one of those word pictures Jesus uses. Remember last week where he said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you sin, cut it off. We don't know that there were any Pharisees actually out there with trumpets going, here I'm about to give, do-do-do-do, you know, look at me. We, We don't know that that was going on, but the way that they did it, that the big, you know, show about it was enough to know that they were doing it so that everybody knew these Pharisees were giving so that everybody would know what incredibly generous men they were being. You know, this is a vivid way of saying, hey, when you give to God, it should be for God, regardless of who sees and who knows. Don't give Come in so that they'll say, Jared, what an amazing giver you are. So I, I was thinking kids on how to say this. And here's what I've got. I think God wants us to give money like a ninja. So that's, that's what I've got this morning. I want you to give money to God like a ninja. Now, my exposure to what it means to be a ninja is, is super well researched. It's um, basically everything from the show Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So it, my understanding of what a ninja comes from that show, if anybody needs to correct me on that, I'm welcome to receiving it. But that's the research I did on what it means to be a ninja. And in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, kids don't watch it unless your parents say it's okay. But uh, the, the these mutant ninja turtles, hence the name, who happen to be teenagers, Rescue a girl named April O'Neil and their master slash father, a rat named Splinter. I don't know where they got this storyline. You know, asks his boys afterwards, were you seen? That's all he wants to know. Did anybody see you? He doesn't care whether it was successful or bad or or how many people's, you know, behinds they kicked. He just wants to know, did anybody see you? Because apparently, at least according to this movie, what it means to be a ninja is that you accomplish your mission in secret. That's why I say we need to be giving ninjas. Okay, how do you be a giving ninja? Well, the first thing is... I think God has set it up to where we do a lot of our godly giving through your local church. There's a little offering back there, and I There's a reason it goes in and it stays a little bit hidden, both for security and because it doesn't need to be advertised. You're never going to see a board over here that says, here are the top five givers this week. Number one, so-and-so. Number two, so-and-so. That's not how it works. I promise that board is not going to be here. Like if it was here, I would have had great joy in hitting it with a sledgehammer because that's just not why people give. In God's eyes, we'll learn as we walk through Matthew that faithful giving is not about the dollar amount. It's about the level or percentage of sacrifice. And so, when you give to Redemption Church, one of the things you should know is that we consider that money to belong to God. And we steward that money in such a way that we try to maximize the blessing. We have partnered with organizations, for instance, like Feeding Northeast Florida, because we recognize that there is a lot of need and hunger in this community. And we do that because the money is not ours, it's his. So as you give to this kingdom outpost, know that we are going to seek to use it in such a way that not only you, but this whole community is blessed. That's one way you can give is through Redemption Church. Hey, here's another thing. Let me encourage you, if you're going to give like a ninja, to set a budget and to consider tithing as an example. Why a budget? Well, how many of you have been in a church, say, where they passed a little plate, you know, and you go, oh man, I forgot. And then you kind of pull in your wallet. And if you're millennial like me, there's never cash in here. So you open up, you're like, well, there's no cash. Hey, God, the next time there is cash in here, I promise I'll give it. Like, I did that a while. And, and that's just laziness and poor planning on my part. That's not his fault that there's not cash in here. I've, again, there's credit cards. And um, our brother, Pastor Wesley over here, has made it to where you can give online. But the, the point is, when you budget, it, when you're faithful with stewarding the money that God entrusts to you, you can be faithful to set aside some money to give back to God. Now, the Bible presents this example of tithing in the Old Testament. That just means a tenth, 10%. And it's not that Christians are legalistically held to that. Several of you were in the new members class this morning, and I told them, I promise you're never going to have a pastor here saying, well, you got to give me your W-2 so that I know how much you made to see whether or not you met that 10% mark. No, 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 that's not how we roll. The Holy Spirit can take care of that. But this pattern of faithful giving is just to say to God, hey, thank you for all 10 parts. Here's one of them back. And so we hold that out as just a faithful example of ninja giving because that's what the Bible holds. I would encourage you too, as you give, and this is the fun part, mix giving with praying to where you're asking God, who do you want me to give to? How do you want me to give? What is a way that I can give to where it would really bless that person? You're going to be led to people that if you just pulled out like a $20 bill and said, here, that actually may not bless them. To really bless them, you're going to have to get to know them, to discern where their needs are, to see what you can do to be part of that process of meeting those needs. And finally, do more than, I have, meet needs more than giving money. What I mean by that is... um, have fun with this. Maybe you set aside a little bit of money and you say, "I God wanna bless somebody and, and he puts this idea in your heart. This is not everybody, but some, this might be a fun way to do it and stay secret about it. Maybe you're going through a drive-thru line and you just tell the drive-thru lady, hey, can I pay for the person behind me? Just don't tell them, you know, it was me. Like imagine the look on their face when they get up to pay for their drive-thru food and it's already paid for. And they don't have any way of knowing who you are. You've already driven off. It's just already taken care of. Or, you know, if you're like a kid and you did the bad version of this, um, don't ding-dong ditch just to annoy people. But what if you left some groceries there for somebody because you knew they needed them and you knew the food that they liked and could eat and you rang the doorbell and you ran off so that all they did is came out and there was some food to bless them. You see, this is one of those things that if you can get over like, it's, it's not God is saying, hey, you better give because I'm here to make your life miserable. No, 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 he's trying to give us this blessing. We have these ears that get in the way because we tend to hear any time the Bible talks about giving as a infringement on my rights. God is trying to say, hey, I'm gonna give you something that's really fun. I'm gonna give you the gift of giving. You just gotta set a budget, set aside a little bit and trust me. And I'm inviting you to trust him enough to take him at his word there. Give like a ninja. Second, he moves to praying. Look with me back at verse 5. He says of these hypocrites that they love to stand and pray. And then in verse 7 he says, and they heap up empty phrases. And in verse 15 he says that they do not forgive others. Now, there's kind of four wrong ways to pray here. and If you're like me, the first one is the most convicting. And that is, he says, when you pray, um, <laughs> needless to say, if you're not praying, the rest of the three don't matter. You gotta start praying before you move to step two to hear the others. And if you're like me, this is where I struggle because the act of setting aside and budgeting time to give to the Lord in prayer takes time thinking, hey kids, listen to me for a second. If you can begin to learn to pray, it will bless you more than any other practice in your life. It will bless one day who you marry. I know, eh, right? It will bless the people that you work with. It will bless one day your own kids. One of the biggest blessings God can give you and that I could give you as a pastor is to encourage you to ask your mommies and daddies to teach you how to pray. Church family, um, there is no greater weapon we have as Christians than prayer. If you want to see this community changed, pray. If you want to see your family changed, pray. If you want to see anything of any eternal significance happen, it's gonna happen mixed with prayer. Not because God needs our prayers, but because the sovereign God who's ordained all things has also ordained the means to which those ends occur. And he's ordained that some things will not happen until his people pray. And so, Jesus says, when we pray. Now, not only must prayers be made, but they must be made to God alone. Uh, I've been guilty of this. I've heard people pray what just sound like such eloquent prayers. And so I'll be in a small group Bible study and I'll pray the way I think everybody wants a mature Christian to pray. And it becomes this long, drawn out, flowery language type thing that I hope will impress God more and really kind of hope impress people more if I just embellish it enough. Don't, Don't do that. Do not slip into something like Shakespeare language. Oh, father of thou art in heavenest placest. Nobody today talks like that. Please don't pray like that. Um, God's not impressed. I'm not impressed. If anything, people would be probably a little weirded out. Like, Like literally reverence him, but talk to him. Just like you would talk to somebody you respect. The pagans thought at the time, that if they would say the same words over and over again in a mantra, that that somehow tricked the God into doing what they said. And our God does not work like that. We pray to him, but it's never to inform him, right? It's not like, you know, Pastor Chuck is praying one day and God up there in heaven said, Chuck, I'm so glad you told me about that. I had no idea. Boy, if you hadn't prayed, I mean, I'd have just been up here wondering what was going on. No, 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 look at what it says. It says, your father knows what you need before you ask him in verse eight. So we pray to God, but not to inform him, to submit to him. Prayer is a way of saying, God, here I am. Make my heart yours. Hear the things I see. Do what you think is best. Perhaps the biggest problem Jesus exposes, though, is not just showy prayers or long-winded prayers, but unforgiving prayers. We'll see that here, but in verses 14 and 15, there's this hard warning that if I get down and I start praying, and I know that somebody has really ticked me off, and I am not willing to even bring that person up in praying, let alone forgive them, that I am walking a dangerous path, there is a good chance God will not hear my prayers while I harbor that bitterness against someone else and I'm unwilling to forgive them. There's just no room in going before a God who has forgiven us of everything we've done against him and not be willing to forgive those who sinned against us. So I put it all together and it's prayers must be made to God, not to inform, but to submit, ready to forgive others. If you're supposed to give like a ninja, you should pray like a tax collector. Give like a ninja, pray like a tax collector. Where does that come from? That comes from Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. There's two men who go to church to pray. One's a Pharisee, and and he thinks highly of himself. And in his prayer, he'll thank God for not making him like all those other miserable people who don't do good things. And, And he will kind of leave full of himself. And then there's this tax collector, and he stands way off by himself. He is, he's embarrassed even to be there, but he comes and he beats his breast and all he can do is beg the father's forgiveness. The Pharisee exalts himself. The tax collector exalts God and puts himself under the Lord's hand. Pray like this guy. Come to God humble. Give him the things that you need to in prayer, but don't be like the Pharisee to be seen by men. Many of you know the Lord's Prayer, and it is perhaps one of the sweetest passages in the Bible to memorize. Um, The part that starts there in verse 9, our Father in heaven. All I want to do this morning is give you a few things to glean from this excellent prayer. Now, it's not, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer, but it is not a mantra, Right, This is not the only way we can pray because he's just said, don't keep babbling like the pagans. So in other words, Jesus doesn't mean, hey, the only way you can pray is by reciting the Lord's prayer. I went to uh, Episcopal High School here because my mom taught there and, and I enjoyed the time there. And there was a little bit of a risk in saying the same thing over and over again in these recorded prayers that as good as the words were, I would recite it without meaning any of it. And God wants my heart. So if you recite something without thinking about it, as if just by saying these words, God's on the hook, that's not a prayer. That's an incantation. That's magic. That's not how God works. Um, So he means this as an example. Look at the first word there, our. When you pray, pray together. We have a father. Look at the next word, father, verse nine. I call this pray near. You can address God if you have given your life to Jesus Christ as your Abba Father. Pray far. Jesus reminds us that this Father is in heaven. That means don't consider the fact that you're allowed to approach him as grounds to treat him like a pal or a buddy. Um, Jesus is not your homeboy (laughs) Jesus is the king before whom I bow So while I can call him father I still revere him as the heavenly father And so that's why we pray reverence That's what it means by the word hallowed Let your name be consecrated and sanctified Because you deserve worship Pray together, pray near, pray far Pray reverence, pray heaven This is so wonderful. When it says, um, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, in heaven, the angels perfectly obey God. And for that to happen on earth, Jesus is going to have to not only die on a cross, but one day come back to where the kingdom of heaven covers this land. And the new heavens and new earth is here. So when we pray heaven, it's just like the end of the Bible where we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We keep that eternal perspective. And we pray daily. Give us today our daily bread. The the praying for heaven doesn't eclipse the fact that we need him every single day. And in a materialistic society like ours, it is so important to remember you need him. I mean, for the air we breathe, the water we drink, the things we eat, you say, well, I earned money to pay for that food. Well, yeah, but who gave you the job? Who gave you the body? Who gave you the mind? Who gave us a planet that can produce food that we can eat? We go daily to God for our needs. Not only pray daily, but pray forgiveness. Again, this is the one that he zeros in on. Be sure to regularly go to God and ask forgiveness for your sins and to ask him to keep your heart gentle towards others. And when he convicts you, and it happens, I'll tell you how it happens. I'm sitting there in prayer, and then God will bring someone to mind. And I'm like, oh, man, Lord, why'd you bring him to mind? I mean, they just don't you know what they said? Don't you know what they did to me? And, and if you will bring that person up in prayer, I promise he'll soften your heart toward that man or that woman. And you'll find yourself, even if you don't want to, having to call him and say, hey, man. I got to have a conversation. You know, there's something between us. Can we talk about it? Because that's what God does in prayer. He changes our hearts. Pray forgiveness. And then pray deliverance. It ends, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We all need God to steer us away from those sources of temptation in our lives and from those things that would really do us eternal harm. There is a real, literal devil, and he does not have good ends for your soul. So we pray and ask God to deliver us. Well, not only does Jesus mention the giving like ninjas and the praying like tax collectors, but he ends with this idea of fasting. And I smile. I asked a bunch of Christians this week, hey, can you give me some pointers? Because if, if I'm maybe in like middle school and giving and praying, I'm in like pre-pre-kindergarten with fasting. And so I have to confess to you as a church, I am very much a novice when it comes to fasting. You can pray for me that I would learn this discipline. Just like the others, Jesus says, when you fast, and I read this great book. It's by Donald Whitney called The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And he has a chapter on fasting in there. And he starts off by saying, Fasting? is the most feared and misunderstood of all the Christian disciplines. And I laughed and I was like, okay, I guess at least I'm good company. Every Christian brother I asked this week kind of got a sheepish look on his face and maybe it's a Baptist thing, but we were like, yeah, I don't know much about fasting either. And, and, you know, as, as we talked about, it was funny because it, there's something seems to be stuck with this like, well, well, fasting, I mean, maybe that was for like the medieval Christians or, or maybe that's for like the super Christians Who are in India or something. I don't know, but as I have talked with American Christians, apparently we don't fast. Uh, And and again, I'm holding out to you the Bible. I was just as convicted by it as you are. It says when you fast. So apparently we all got to go back to the school of Jesus and learn how to do this. Now, if you're blessed in this, don't get proud what keep doing it to the glory of God if you're like me and the rest of us who kind of skip over this part let me just tell you a quick funny story so one of the mentors for me as I study this is a great old Puritan pastor he's now dead R.C. Sproul he has this whole commentary through Matthew and if you think this sermon is long he literally took a sermon for every line for the Lord's prayer like our father in heaven one whole sermon hallowed be your name whole sermon so he was in the Lord's prayer for like 12 weeks or something And I'm like, this is great. R.C.'s going to tell me what fasting means. And I can just tell y'all what R.C. says. This is wonderful. R.C. Sproul totally skipped fasting. I mean, he got through like 12 sermons on uh, what the Lord's prayer is and he just skipped fasting altogether. So brother, you know, you're up in heaven. I know this, we'll joke about it someday. I could have used your help on what fasting was. All right, so here's what we got, guys. I went to the Bible. Fasting's all over the place. And here's just a few things that God's word gleans for us. First, what does it mean? There's a lot of times you'll hear, well, um, I fasted from chocolate or I fasted from, say, watching TV or I fasted from um, technology of some kind. Now, it can be a really good thing to forego those things. It's just, biblically speaking, that's not what fasting means. Fasting is literally not eating Like the word in the Greek is eating with a no on the front of it. (laughs) So uh, you could hear anytime you say fasting, it's, I committed to no eating for some period of time. Uh, It's sometimes not eating and drinking. Sometimes it's not eating certain things. Like there's partial fasts where they'll just have, say, bread and water. But it always has to do with foregoing consuming food and liquid again, not that it's bad to have times where we take a break from TV or something like that. Just fasting has to do with foregoing food, but it's for a spiritual purpose. I was talking with uh, some some people I know who are are very healthy, and they've talked to me about there's kind of a a fasting health craze where you'll take, say, like a day and go without to purge your system. And I think there could be good medical benefits. I don't know that, so don't quote me on that. Talk to people who know what they're talking about. But just forgoing food is not a fast. It has to be done to draw near to God. And so here's what we find in scripture. Uh, Ezra, for instance, proclaims a fast. This is a corporate fast before the group leaves Persia to travel back Jerusalem he says there I proclaimed a fast at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves our children and all our goods. Esther is going to go in before the king of Persia uninvited it could cost her her life and she has everybody who knows her pray and fast for three days and she does it as well. We see that in Esther chapter 4 verse 16. The church at Antioch Praise and fast, and the Holy Spirit guides them to Paul and Barnabas to be set apart as missionaries. My point is, fasting should be a normal part of the Christian life, and it should be done not to be seen by men. One time, way back in high school, we had this thing called 30 hour famine, and I think it was a good idea. But here's how it worked for me. I committed to not eating for 30 hours to raise money for world hunger. It's all sounding good. I got people to sponsor me. And you know, in that, they're kind of like, "Ooh, man, Jared, he's a good Christian. He's going to go 30 hours without eating. So that, I, I didn't listen when my youth pastor told me the things I was supposed to do. So every hour that passed, I just got more irritable and more hungry. There was very little praying, almost no drawing near to God, nothing like that. So at the end of it, for, for our youth group, when the youth pastor laid out Domino's pizza, man, I tore into that like I hadn't eaten for a year. And then I got so sick, I didn't wanna see pizza for a while. And I promise you, um, I fasted in the sense of not going for food, but it wasn't a fast pleasing to God, okay? So Christians, we should fast privately to feel my dependence on God and focus on prayer. When you have a particularly difficult season of life, maybe you're grieving somebody, a loved one who's passed away. Maybe you've been stuck in a sin for a while and it's just dominating your heart. That's a time to fast, to give a day, plan it out, say, here, God, I want to draw near to you. I'm going to forgo eating so that every time my belly aches, I'm reminded that I need you more than I need food. I need this forgiveness more than I need food. I need you. Maybe you've got a big decision to make just like they did in Ezra's day or Esther's day. Am I going to step out in faith or not? Do I go this way or that way? Do I marry this person or that person? This job or that job? This house or that house? Hey, that's a good time to say, you know what? God, this day for this meal, I'm not gonna eat it so that I can give this time to praying and really getting your guidance. You need this time to remind you you depend on God. You focus on God. You're going to give time to God to draw near to Him. I would hold out these few things. If this week you decide to skip a meal to pray and give that time to the Lord, um, start with just the one meal. And if it's medically unsafe for you to do so, do that partial fast where you still eat a little something, but it's, it's not, you know, uh, Kentucky fried chicken, let's say. It's, it's something a little bit smaller to where you're foregoing maybe what you'd normally have. So start with mo- one meal. Um, plan what you'll do. Don't just, like I did with my 30-hour famine, just grit your teeth and bear it. Plan. Maybe you will read the Gospel of Matthew for an hour and just see what God shows you. But plan what you're going to do. Um, consider how it'll affect others. If I don't tell my wife, because I want to keep it secret, but then she plans this really sweet meal for me at dinner, you know, and and it's like, oh babe, thanks, I don't like that. You know, this is not going to go well. So, um, plan a good time where you're considering others with your fast. And and then I loved, I got this advice from David Mathis. He's the editor of desiringgod.org. He said, um, don't think about white elephants. <laughs> and, and he meant, you know, use the time to really focus on God. But know now, if you go, say, one meal, two meals, three meals without eating, you're going to get to a point where even a white elephant sounds really good. Like I could take a bite out of a huge white chocolate elephant. I, I, it's going to happen. And so you've got to be ready to turn your heart and mind over to the Lord and kind of expect it to be a little hard. I think that's why we're afraid of this one because I can pray, I can give and it hurts a little bit. Man, fasting is gonna hurt some. And here's what I'll tell you. If you'll persevere in this, just like the others, this is a gift from God. As I read this week on people who have fasted, there's something about fasting that reminds us We are looking forward to more than just a meal. We're living for something more than just meeting our basic needs. We've got this eternity that we can look for. We serve a God. And it's like the problems of this world, whether it's how I'm going to pay my bills or what's Russia going to do with Ukraine, they just, they fade a little bit as we draw near to the Lord in fasting and prayer. I wanna end by just reminding you of something about Jesus. Jesus did all these things. Jesus gave and he he did in such a way that uh, only his heavenly father knew. And I mean, a few disciples kind of figured it out. 5,000 people showed up for some food and all he had was a little bit of bread, but he chose to miraculously give and give in such a way that they didn't know it was Jesus until later. Jesus prayed all the time. I mean, he would get away by himself and pray to spend time with his father. And fasting? I mean, you think one meal is bad? Jesus fasted for 40 days. I mean, my goodness. Jesus has done everything he's asking us to do and his life was filled with joy. So he holds these out as gifts for us today. I'm gonna ask uh, Wesley to come up here and just play a little bit as we close out the service. Some of you may have heard all this talk about giving and praying and fasting and there's a problem. You see, you could do these things, but if you don't know the Savior who's gone and died in your place, they don't mean anything. We started by saying this reward we're talking about is entrance into the kingdom of heaven and you cannot earn your way into heaven with your giving your fasting, with your praying, with your attending a church, or your serving. No, no, no. That's what Jesus did for you. And so as I pray here in just a minute, if you've never come to a point where you've put all your weight on Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. If you're joining us online and you're just by yourself in your living room, hey, the father who sees in secret, he can hear you. I don't want to give you an opportunity to do that. What it looks like to trust Jesus is admit your sin to Him. Believe that he alone died on the cross for your sins and commit to follow him as your Lord. Admit, believe, commit. You do it in prayer. It's between you and the Lord. Christians, I kind of have a dare here. And that is that each of us would dare to believe when Jesus says these things about giving and praying and fasting, he's got our good in mind. Let's use this as a time just to say, hey, God, where do you want me to grow here? Is it in giving? Is it in praying? Is it in fasting? Is it in all three? And help me to do this in such a way that God sees, but maybe other people don't even know. We're gonna go to the Lord in prayer right now, and then we'll close out the service. Father God, we asked you to send your Holy Spirit to move in such a way that we would be changed this morning, that Jesus would be glorified and that we would be able to hear him. I pray right now for hearts to be receptive to you, that that Jesus, whatever you want done right now, it would happen. Maybe there's a Christian here who needs to commit to giving. There's a Christian here that needs some help praying setting some time aside to really pray more than just kind of a few hasty prayers here and there. Maybe there's a Christian here who who just has never fasted. The idea is totally foreign and and they need courage to set a time this week to fast. And, And maybe they need to open up and share that with somebody just to get some help and some accountability in doing that. God, would you bless us with courage, with faith, with trust that says these are good for us and we'll trust that you see. And, and one day, Jesus, we've trusted in you. We want to hear those words. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God, you've blessed me. I've known some amazing Christians who, They their amazing thing is that they prayed so faithfully for so many years. And, and I think I'm gonna, you know, serve under them in heaven one day because the world may not have ever known the things that they did, but you saw, you know, you do you what was going on. Jesus, would you have your way right now in the hearts and the minds of your followers here this morning? Transform us into those who hunger and thirst for righteousness to get recognized by the Father. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask specifically right now, There's anybody here, God, who doesn't yet know you as the Lord and Savior that you are. Would you move their heart right now? Give them that nudge to where they know it's from you. And they'd say, okay, God, I'm willing. Uh, What do I do? Hey, if you've never trusted in Jesus, do this. Right now, tell the Father that you've sinned against him and ask his forgiveness. Tell Jesus that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And you believe that it is him alone you can be forgiven. And tell God that you are gonna commit to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life from this day forward. This prayer is not magic, but if you mean it, He will hear and that's all it takes for him to look and say, I see you, I hear you, I forgive you, you're mine. Hey, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior this morning, would you just look up at me? Just make eye contact here real quick so that I know that you prayed that prayer. I'm looking around the room, look up at me right now if you prayed for Jesus. I see those eyes, I see those eyes. If you prayed that prayer, I see those eyes. I see those eyes. I see those eyes. I see those eyes. If you pray that prayer, and you meant it, and you want Jesus to save you, I just want to be able to pray with you. And I'm going to invite you to do something that might be a little scary, but as Wesley starts to sing, I'm going to invite you to come down here. You don't have to. This is a brave step, but if you mean it, I'm going to invite you to come down here so I can just put my hand on you and pray for you. If you mean it. As Wesley sings, come down so we can pray together.